Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 112 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, I'm an icky sticky filmmaker. And joining us this evening, he is the director of such films as Nailbiter, Enclosure and the upcoming Fright Fest selection, I Am Lisa. Pleasure to be joined by Mr. Patrick Ray. Patrick, good evening. Hey, greetings from Kansas City. <laughs> Hello there. How are you, sir? Yeah. I'm great. I'm great. You know, it, it's it was a hundred and some degrees last week this time, and now for some reason it's like high of seventy eight. So it feels like the <laughs> fall already, even though it's clearly still early August. So um, it puts me in a really good mood because I, I I I had a film shoot last week outside in the direct sun, and I think it killed part of my brain. So now I'm I'm kind of regrouping so I can speak intelligently to you guys today. Excellent. So- good. I'm glad that one of us will. How did that go with regards to lockdown and social distancing? And Yeah. Um, well, you know, the thing is, the whole thing was outside. So we were able to stay uh, six feet away from each other. And we had a very, very small crew. And we had, you know, hand sanitizer and masks. And we weren't able to really wear the mask the whole time because we would have all passed out from heat exhaustion. So <laughs> <laughs> but we made it work. We made it work. Good, good, good. Patrick, for the first time in a little while, you are taking us back to the Friday the 13th franchise. Now, we have done a few of these before. Yeah, we've done part five. We've done Jason Goes to Hell. We've done Jason X. We also had Adam Marcus, director of Jason Goes to Hell, on the show as a guest. Oh, that's and now, amazing. here we go. Oh my god, it was it really was amazing. He picked cruising and he spoke about it for ages and it was class. <laughs> but, but afterwards, genuinely, uh he just he just spent maybe about another 30 minutes just getting absolutely torn into Sean Cunningham and it was just the best thing. He was just like so mad oh, but so wow. passionate. It was awesome. It was so good. Oh wow. <laughs> but That's amazing. Um, Patrick, you Oh yeah, oh my god, yeah. honestly, it was so good. It was so good. But, yeah, Patrick, <laughs> you've chosen um uh Friday the thirteenth part eight, uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. So That's right. um, another another one of the I would th- I think it's fair to say more reviled sequels in the series. Um <laughs> rocking a twelve percent. Undeservably so. Uh, I completely agree. Completely agree. Rocking a twelve percent on uh, Rotten Tomatoes at the moment. Uh, you know, it, it it I can see why some people would, would be angry. You know, the movie primarily takes place on a boat. So it's kind of false advertising that, you know, he doesn't take Manhattan to the last third of the movie. And so uh, I think a lot of people kind of say, you know, uh, I wish this was called Jason Takes a Boat. But, you know, (laughs) but uh, yeah, the first time I ever saw it was at a Boy Scout outing. It was a Halloween Boy Scout outing uh, in October of 1990. And the uh, older Boy Scouts were in charge of bringing the uh, R-rated films. So the first time we saw it, it was, you know, they fast forwarded through the first five, 10 minutes of the movie. And so like the movie didn't start for me until they, they pulled up to the ship. And so right. for years, for a couple of years there, I was like, what was, what was so bad about the first 10 minutes? 
and it turns out it just wasn't that great. Like I was, I expected more nudity and you know, you get a little bit of side boobage, but that's about it. Mm. So it's like, there's really not, there's not that much to it. There's not that much gore. Like he gets on the boat and he like kills a guy with a harpoon and that's about it, you know? And so was the censorship there kind of like more of a pacing consideration rather than trying to actually (laughs) shield anything from you? I mean, I, I, it was one of those things where the other scout masters were there and I think they just didn't, the older scouts didn't want to uh, upset them by playing the, you know, the movie. And, and, uh, even though obviously it was a Friday the 13th movie, like they were already like, you know, showing a bunch of 10 year olds this movie. Yeah. But, uh, I remember being really excited because, uh, summer of summer of 89, I, I remember seeing all of the commercials for Jason takes Manhattan on the television. Of course, I'm like, mom, I want to see that. And they're no, you're nine. You're not going to see that. You're going to go see Batman. You're going to go see Indiana Jones, the last crusade, but you're not going to see Jason go, uh, takes Manhattan. So, I mean, for me, when they brought that movie from the, you know, the local grocery store to, to show at the Halloween party, I was, I was really psyched. So the movie has kind of like this, uh, nostalgic aspect to it. And, uh, you know, I've always kind of connected those memories of that Boy Scout Halloween party to that particular film. And it's weird because, like, the song at the beginning is so so darn catchy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, I, and you can't get it out of your head. And it's like, well, I didn't even see that part of the movie for years after first viewing it because they fast-forwarded through that. And it wasn't until, you know, the, the, they, the teenagers show up at the boat that the movie started. So I feel like I feel like you missed out on some pretty important scene setting there, in all honesty. I think yeah, so. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, like, all of a sudden, Jason is just alive and getting on the ship. So I'm like, oh, I missed the whole point. Like, he, does, he gets, like, resurrected with, like, a power cable that's just, like, hitting the bottom of the lake. For some reason, you know, the lake opens up to the ocean this time, which, you know, as a, as a kid, I didn't think that was a, a big deal but now i'm like that makes that makes no sense but you know continuity with the sequels has never been the strong suit for those for those movies i suppose that's true (laughs) (laughs) i mean he dies in a different way each time and he always shows up with a different outfit so it's like you know (laughs) Um, it's it's funny like just um just to talk briefly about the fact that like my um so kind of a running joke but also kind of a running fact on the show is that um andy's knowledge of horror is uh encyclopedic and mine is not um <laughs> I, so i i, I kind of came into the game a lot I, I i don't have stories about watching these movies when i was 10 or whatever like i i kind of i kind of I, I got into horror way later in the game than a lot of people right um, right right so i'm kind of working my way backwards through things and it just means that i've got these weird gaps in my knowledge and also these weird random things that i've seen but now my viewing history of the friday the 13th franchise is friday the 13th and then part four five eight nine ten okay <laughs> so okay. um my, my timeline is like obviously like full of holes and i remember thinking like, <laughs> like, um, i was kind of looking at being like oh maybe i should check into how he died in the last one so i can understand <laughs> how he comes back and i very quickly realized i was like no it doesn't matter a shite it's like they will just come up with a reason and he'll just appear right right connect. right well, t- yeah two well two three four connect um two three four all take place within a couple days of each other I guess four, five, and six are kind of loosely connected as well yeah, via when, the when, via Tommy Jarvis. Yeah, you're right, right, exactly. So when they fight, they really get off track. Is when is really honestly between eight and nine, it just doesn't make any sense. Like okay, so at the <laughs> end of at the end of end of part eight, he somehow reverts back to his human state, right? But he has hair, which he's never had hair before until part eight, um, and he's just laying asleep in the sewer at the end of the movie and then in part nine he's just back at the camp and he's 
bulkier and his head is all blobby and uh you know it's like it doesn't make any sense and i was like well they need to have like a in betweenquel like a sequel between them where they explain yeah. that he like somehow as a boy got like a a bus ticket back to the crystal lake and then turn back into a monster. I don't know. Like it, I, I have to give you some points for the term in between pool. I've never heard that before. And I'm delighted. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I kind of feel like there was a lot of retconning going on when new line took this over. Yeah. I think you're, you're, you're completely right. And the thing is that like, honestly, I still prefer Jason takes men that Jason goes to hell. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just one of those things where the fans don't really care. I mean, if you really were to like break it down none of it makes any sense and so it's like part two he has long hair and looks like lenny kravitz and part three he's bald and looks completely different and then in part you know so like it, it, they're all supposed to be taking place over the course of a couple days but yeah and it, you know it, people are just like oh cool there's new makeup they don't really care patrick we make yes. everyone who comes on the show do one thing which we okay. uh uh, yeah, a rule to which you are not the exception. For the benefit of anyone who is listening to the show that has not seen Jason Takes Manhattan, Andy's going to put 30 seconds on the clock. I'm going to count you in and we're going to ask you for your best 30 second synopsis of this film. How are you feeling okay. about that? Oh, that's great. I can do that. Yeah, I was going to say, you sound pretty confident. Andy, do I have 30 yes. seconds? You call, of course, of course. Okay, Patrick, are you ready? <laughs> I mean, it's going to be kind of a scatter, uh, scattered thoughts. I'm just letting you know. It'll, it'll, it'll still be a synopsis, but... But uh, I will do my best. That's fine. Patrick, okay. we have had every possible incarnation <laughs> of a 30-second synopsis you can imagine, from pre-recorded ones to incredibly detailed scripted versions to rambling nonsense that goes okay, nowhere. Okay, good. Okay, cool. Okay, three, two, one, go. Okay, the... Seemingly indestructible Jason Voorhees is resurrected at the bottom of Crystal Lake and finds his way onto a cruise ship where there is a group of teenagers taking their senior trip to the Big Apple. Jason then spends the next 30 minutes of the movie killing off the teenagers one by one and basically causing the ship to sink. And uh, (laughs) Jason then uh, manages to somehow swim to New York following the last remaining survivors of the ship. Time! Okay. You've at least you've at least got to the third act setup, which I think is not bad. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah, exactly. I don't want to talk about the. Uh, we don't have to talk about the boxing quite yet, which is probably my favorite scene. Agreed. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that I, th- I think this we just barrel straight into this thing because there's a lot to unpack. The start of this is incredible. We have a striding '80s soundtrack, a very protracted sequence of establishing shots for New York, and a mysterious narration about terror. <laughs> Yeah, I, this that, it's something that Patrick touched on earlier. This is maybe the the first or second Friday the Thirteenth film I ever saw. In fact, the tattoo of Jason on my forearm is the Jason from Part Eight. This film, I just love this film, and I love this intro. Like it's so out of place if you look at it in the context of the franchise. There's nothing like this anywhere else in the entire franchise, before or after. Yeah, I I, I love how this film starts. Well, and the movie is that you could tell they were trying something different. Like they basically had gone through the same, you know, filmmaking nuts and bolts filmmaking of each sequel. I mean, obviously, Part Seven has a little bit of a curveball with the telekinetic side to it, but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they, this every single one of them is around Crystal Lake, and so they were like, okay, let's try something. Let's try something a little different, which is one reason why I think I like it so much. Um, I like the fact that everything that's included in the kind of establishing montage lets us know that we're going to be dealing very much in the kind of seedy underbelly because we see sewer rats, right, 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 right. 
visibly <laughs> filthy looking subway stations and things and trash can fires. My favourite yes. kind of dystopia <laughs> around the world thing. Mitch, did you notice that that rat was privy to a mugging? He was a, a witness. Oh, God, no. The opening title sequence has Times Square, but then like the rest of it apparently was shot in Canada to save money. So it's <laughs> yeah. like, it's this funny thing. It's like, ooh, Times Square. Oh, Canada. Now we're in Vancouver. We're in some alleyways, which they could have probably shot. They could have shot anywhere. They could have shot in Kansas City. They could have shot at any place. They could have built an alley. Is that, you know, it's just funny to yeah. me how, how yeah. like they basically have one moment in that movie where they reveal Times Square, and I think the rest of it was shot in other places. Yeah, I, th- I think well, that the only other thing is the um, exterior shots of the subway. I think that I think that they're actual New York, and the rest of it is all... Okay. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they did. They, they were able to shoot in New York. Um, I, Originally, I'd, I'd, I'd read, and I, I think uh, Rob Hedden touches on this in Crystal Lake Memories as well, is that originally the script was full of Jason visiting all these landmarks, and there was a plan to spend a whole lot more time in New York but then the producers were like, yeah, we just straight up can't afford this. Yeah. And they had, yeah. they had a $5 million budget. This wasn't a, this wasn't like a cheap film. No, no. It kind of, it kind of, I kind of wish though that uh, they would have at least had one statue of Liberty moment besides the lightning bolt hitting it. At- yes. <laughs> but like a fight scene at the statue of Liberty would have been cool, but maybe well, Julius maybe was supposed to fight Jason at Madison square garden. Oh, well, that would have, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, it I think that, that that's that that has a similar purpose to me. Like, I think that, that would have worked in the same way, like you say, as a fight sequence at the, at the Statue of Liberty or something equally two to state. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally, totally. And and you know, it's just one of those things where you could probably see that the budget for New York kept dwindling, but the budget to shoot on a boat kept expanding. So, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, okay, okay, write another boat scene. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> you know what this needs? Another shot in the, another scene in the basement. This needs another. This well, and they've got that really cool. Uh, and I don't know if we want to jump to this part already, but that really cool sequence on the dance floor. It's like this disco dance floor, and the girl is like, and it, it, it was Kelly Hugh who ended up going on to do yeah. a couple other big movies. Um, but yeah, it, it, that part it's so funny because I, I rewatched the movie, and my my seven year old daughter was was sitting behind me, and um, <laughs> he like tosses Kelly to the floor, which was clearly a stunt woman. But that like looks like it really hurt, like the way she lands. And of course, my daughter goes, "That couldn't have been real. Nobody can land like that. That has to be a dummy." I'm like, "No, I think that was a stunt person just taking taking one for the team and really <laughs> landing and really yeah. landing hard because like you know, Kane really throws her to the floor. I think that was a real dance floor." <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say I've actually off. written in my notes that that looked absolutely horrible. <laughs> I want to talk about the first couple that we, the first couple of people that we meet here, and the first couple, I guess, also okay. that we meet here, Susie and Jim, yeah. um, at a very familiar lakeside retreat. Yeah, because they're at Camp Crystal Lake, which seems to have the lights on. Not sure why. Are we to believe that it's open for business again? Because by now, surely not. It, it kind of looks like at the beginning of the movie. It almost looks like one of those resort areas now. You know, it's like they've turned it into like a you know like vacation homes or something. Because it's just it's just kind of <laughs> like you said. It's very well very well lit it, and clearly a completely different area that they've never shot before. But like it, even I mean even that boat. He's like these kids must be rich. They just. <laughs> 
they're just hanging out. They're just hanging out on this boat. Also, are we? If we're if we're believing that this film is supposed to be a direct sequel to the events of Part Seven, has Jason then drifted with the tide from Tina Shepard's backyard? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because he, 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 that movie ends with him getting pulled underwater, which you know, and apparently his hockey mask got back on his. Wait, did he? He ended up stealing it from the boat. That's right. He, I remember yeah. now. Because I, because I remember at the end of seven, he doesn't have his hockey mask anymore because it splits in half. So he, yeah, so he ends up stealing it because wherever wherever he ends up, there's another uh, hockey mask. But uh, um, it's just, uh, it just that that boat is just so nice. It's like there's never been <laughs> these these kids are just really wealthy and just like to hang out on the boat at night, and they're they look like they're in their mid twenties, even though they're supposed to be in high yes, school. Yes, yeah. I'll tell you what else they look like. They look related. They have the same facial structure. Oh, they have the oh, same no, hairdo. Man. Oh, they have man. the exact same hair. Well, the hair thing, you know, it was 1989, so that makes kind of sense, some sense. But uh, I'm about to look at it again. <laughs> it's like White Snake were very popular at the time. <laughs> Incest, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I love the fact that um, after, so like I say, we meet this couple, um, uh, Susie and Jim, who are kind of like a, in the mood for love. Jimmy, understandably, has his ardor, wow. um, has his ardors lowered a little bit by being so adjacent to the sites of multiple murders. But this is also a very handy window to just do a previously on as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We also get our first glimpse of uh, Jason here. Like, Jason has this film envisions him, and he, he, it's the most inconsistent look I've ever, ever seen in the one film. Right. Because he He changes constantly. He changes constantly. He starts off deformed, and then he starts turning into a regular boy. It doesn't make any sense. Does it make any I would be curious to ask Rob what he what was the thought process behind that because yeah like he'll, hmm. he he just slowly becomes more human and by the end of the movies he looks like Elliot from ET so it's like I, 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 I... <laughs> it really is all over the map in that way isn't it yeah I've just I'd be curious what his what the what the reasoning was for that maybe he's like becoming I don't know because like he was always deformed and why is all of a sudden why is he suddenly not deformed it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. well it's weird because it does seem like over the course of the film there's like this earnest attempt to kind of humanize Jason like right. and give him a bit a personality almost but then yeah. at the same time they make him this unstoppable supernatural monster who has the ability of teleportation yeah <laughs> teleportation not only I mean he literally like at one point like and we can I'm jumping ahead a little bit but we've got that that guy who climbs the tower of the of the boat, and then, like Jason is clearly like at the bottom of the of the tower, and then like seconds later he's all the way up there, and he pulls the guy <laughs> off and throws him. And I remember we we as teenagers we watched that we were like, okay, they're clearly just trying to they're playing up this this is a teleportation or supernatural or it's kind of like an inside joke almost with the filmmakers. Mm. Okay. There's like, there's like again, speaking as a relative horror newcomer, somebody who was like would cop sooner to scream and be like, <gasps> "Copycat killers!" Right, <laughs> right. Or they, I always wanted to show, like, make a film where you see the killer like sprinting in between things. Like, okay, how does he get there so fast? Because he slowly walks and then all of a sudden catches up with them, but we don't see what he does in between. So maybe like he he gets on a motorcycle really quick and parks it, and then <laughs> catches up. I don't know. I don't know. 
Yeah. I quite like, I like, I, I feel like um, a lot of the stuff that I like about this scene is the kind of thing that people might criticize it for in this kind of, uh, in, the, in the sense that it kind of cops to a lot of um, a kind of tropes um, of slasher sequences in that there's, you know, there's two horny teenagers, you've got the noise yep. outside, yep. the yep. fake out jump scare, all this kind of thing. It's like all kind of things where I feel like I should be putting up a necessary level of resistance to it, but I just love all of it. I just swallow it all whole. Yeah, it works. It, it, <laughs> if it works, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I think that's kind of their, their method on that. You know, like we've got the moment where he dresses up as Jason to scare her and, and you think she, you know, he's, he stabs her with the retractable fake knife and all that stuff. And I, I think that that stuff is, is, it's pretty hilarious and, and it works pretty well. I mean, again, like it, it yeah, it is very, very cliche, but uh, you know, we were still in the eighties. So some of that stuff, I think we, that they got away with because we hadn't quite reached scream status where everything was kind of being, uh, you know, made fun of or, re- or, or subverted, you know? Yeah. Like, and I think that like watching this for the first time at this point is interesting in that way, because it's just like, you don't have like, it's div- it's weird to watch these things happen and try to do it not through that filter. Exactly. If you know what I mean. However, yeah, like I said, there's a fake out jump scare here, but he dresses up as Jason. But the real deal isn't far behind. Jimmy is paralyzed with fear. Not good practice in this situation. Susie a little bit smarter. Um, she flees, not for long. Did anyone notice when Jason's reanimated? He seems to laugh. You mean like when he's underwater, he laughs? Are you talking about like the butt? Yeah, like the chains fall down onto the wreckage of the presumably the dock from Tina's house. And then you hear him going like, ha, 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 ha. It's like, oh, that's a choice. Interesting. I just always thought it was some weird noise that had something to do with the, the power, the, the electricity, or I don't know. I know he screams later in the movie, which, <laughs> <laughs> which is also an interesting choice. <laughs> but ultimately, we do lose both of us, Susie and Jim. And here was me thinking that there were going to be major players in this narrative, you know? <laughs> Uh, but no, they're, they're they're both ultimately gone. Some quality harpoonery going on here from Jason um, with the murders. And as somebody who, as we have uh, already established, my knowledge of the franchise is uh, patchy at best. I've always associated Jason with uh, Machete. How wildly does he deviate from that as a general rule? Of okay, film? he uses he oh. a lot. He uses the harpoon in Friday Thirteen Part Three as well when he kills mm-hmm. kills the girl. Just um, to get it on the eye. Yeah, right in the eye. The three D harpoon coming right at the camera. Um, I mean, like he uses a lot of different uh, killing implements. I think you know what was it? The seventh one, he has like that that weed whacker thing that he ch- chases the guy around with. He also in the seventh <laughs> one, he also kills a girl with a party horn. Yeah, jabs it in her eye and it goes. Pop! Yeah, and he te- uses a tent spike in that movie. Um, I think he. I mean, he he rarely ever uses. I don't think he's ever used. Now I think about it, he's never used a chainsaw. They left that entirely for Texas Chainsaw. No. He had a chainsaw used on him, but not never. He's never okay. never used one. The machete is, you know, is, is probably his most used weapon. Also, Mitch um, Kelly, whose death is the first time in the entire franchise that he strangles someone. Now, really? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. That was a very comprehensive response. Just what I was in the market for. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I got to think. Of, you're making me think about it. Like the machete is most used in Part Five when it's. Spoiler alert when it's not really Jason. He uses mm-hmm. the machete almost entirely through the movie. Like when he goes around killing the teenagers in the in the uh, halfway house. Yeah. So yeah, I, I yeah, kind yeah. of sees a lot of action. Yeah. So I wonder if that's kind of why it, it it's kind of seen as his weapon of choice was 
primarily because it was used so much in that sequel. But um, yeah, ultimately, both of these two teenagers are offed. Um, they are then conspicuous in their absence from the trip that we uh, joined at the beginning of in the next scene, where we meet Rennie and uh, yes. Colleen. I thought maybe she was like an aunt or something, but it turns out she's just a teacher who, who and, and Rennie is her, her favorite student, I guess, you know? Uh, yeah. And, but yeah, no, they pull up to the ship, and, and that's where, for me, as a 10-year-old, that's where the movie started. <laughs> that's weird <laughs> i i don't think i saw this the first part of it for at least i think i was probably 12 by the time i saw the, the first part of it. i kind of wish that you'd go into this point and you hadn't seen oh, it i so know we started talking I, about I, people exactly. getting killed in the boat and just be like what are you guys talking yeah, about what movie are you guys talking about <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah Rennie, uh, it seems like it's kind of like this 50 50 decision for reasons that we'll kind of come to understand for why Rennie is joining this trip so late in the fray mm. you'll notice mitch as well that she's gifted stephen king's uh checkoff's fountain pen yes Mm-hmm. Which which is mm-hmm. which is obviously yes. a uh, foreshadowing what's for something later, you know. It's just like, oh, why is she getting this stabby pen? Yeah, it's like, oh, that looks sharp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> never never introduce a suspiciously sharp fountain pen in Act One that you don't stab someone in the eye with in Act right. Two. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> One of my favorite characters introduced here, Charles McCulloch, uh, headmaster. Oh, really? Question mark. People guardian? Question mark. Yes, I'll explain why as we go. But yeah, oh, I love um, that guy. So he's yeah, I love him too. Like um uh yeah, he's he's um incredibly apprehensive about uh, Rennie coming on the trip. We don't exactly know why yet, but we do figure out very quickly that he is both her uncle and legal guardian, and also the headmaster. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, but I, I think the the mystery about why Rennie doesn't, or why Rennie might not want to be on this boat, is unraveled so fast that it it kind of makes what happens later a bit pointless. Right, exactly. And and, and uh, I don't know. I always found McCullough to be creepy, you know, in a not mm-hmm. good way around his his niece. I just love that actor. And you know, he's ninety three years old. I looked it up. Uh, he's still he's still alive, still working. Really, yeah. still doing the rounds. Wow. Yeah. Another character introduction here, we have Sean, um, the son of the captain of the ship and uh, the de facto captain of the ship. He's Just... a terrible, terrible job, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. Like, um, uh, yeah, because I, I feel like the, the moment where the dad assigns the captain's duties to him and it's like, oh, the captain of the ship is Sean. Um, I kind of feel like the dad looks very proud and everyone else, including Sean, looks visibly terrified about this decision and its potential ramifications. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it doesn't really matter because we get the impression fairly quickly that Sean is his own man and doesn't want to follow in his dad's footsteps, which makes him a constant disappointment to his presumably incredibly strict father. Yeah, yeah that, that sending out the international maritime signal, he really screws that up. Oh, yeah. Uh, See when he when he says it like that, it gives it far more weight than what is ultimately just took. Yeah, the horn. exactly. It, it it was it was one of those things where now whenever I I honk my horn in my car, I always was saying I'm sending out the international mar- maritime signal. <laughs> I just like the guy's performance. It's 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 kind of cheesy. Uh, the the captain. Yeah. There's a bit. Uh, he holds out like the. Yeah, he- what would you call it? Like the the wee yeah. radio thing, the wee ham radio. But it holds it out with such pleading yeah. in, in his eyes for his son to take it. Um, and when Sean storms away, the disappointment is palpable. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> I just like, oh man. Um, did you guys ever see the original actor who played Sean, who they shot with for a few days, and then realized the guy couldn't act, and then recast him? They put some of that. They no, put yeah. some of that on, on one of the DVDs as an extra, and it's it's like, how did this guy get past the screen test like that's the thing i was i was like what did he know somebody 
because how did he get how did he get that far to be on set and then be that bad and they're like okay we have to do something you know like Shit. yeah okay. it's 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 it's, <laughs> it's really impressive there's like a, a scene where uh it's where, where sean is arguing with mccullough at some point uh and it's the original actor that they had in this they, they shot the scene with and the guy can't act he can't act so i think they probably had to like paramount had to say okay guys we have to rethink this really quick um i'm curious i'm curious mm-hmm. how much they shot with the other guy though yeah like how yeah. far they go uh, i think they shot quite a lot because i remember reading that they had to shoot a considerable amount again with the, right. the guy who right. we now right. know he, does, he does a great job yeah. he does a very good job uh the guy who plays sean and then the guy who plays Rennie are, i think are probably two of the best actors in the film besides besides yeah, kane hodder i mean who can who can his uh, heavy breathing acting is impressive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. This oh. much Kane Hoddle's second outing yeah. as Jason. Yeah. Okay. Which is funny because, okay. you know, he's kind of seen as the most popular Jason, the most popular actor, and he didn't get his first swing at the plate till part seven. I mean, he's clearly like the best Jason. And, uh, mm-hmm. but it's just interesting to think of whenever you think of Jason, you think of Kane Hodder and he didn't come into the later part of the franchise. Yeah. And then the films of people broadly seem to like far less. Right. Exactly. He's yeah. seen as the most yeah. popular and most loved Jason, but the movies he's, he's in are kind of seen as not the best in the franchise. It's very interesting. That is interesting. Um, I want to talk very quickly about another one of my favorite characters, the uh, Harbinger deckhand who, um, <laughs> <laughs> does the, uh, the first of a lot of um, imminent doom prophecies here. And I remember thinking at this point, I actually wrote this down, I was like, he cites imminent doom despite not being in the room when the captaincy decision was made. What other factors is he basing this on? Yeah, and I also... Oh, he sees the boat. He sees uh, Susie and Jim's boat just kind of bobbing languidly in the waves uh, with right. blood on the window. So he obviously he uses incredible sense of... Uh, <laughs> perception to realize that that's a bad sign i mean if i had been in charge of the script i would have insisted that that guy live all the way into new york city like they somehow bring him the deckhand on the on the little lifeboat with him with them and uh somehow he like (laughs) he dies in new york not on the ship because he's like such a fun character and i get the feeling charles mcculloch would have tossed him overboard long before then because there's a moment there's a moment where Charles is going to physically kill him with a flare gun. No, oh, I know, I know. It's funny because he's kind of that character is kind of a throwback to Crazy Ralph in the first two movies. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, there hadn't been a harbinger. I think. Well, they had they had the drunk older guy in in uh, part six. He's and he's the guy working in the cemetery. There's the I graveyard mean, guy. Yeah. yeah, the graveyard guy, and then they've got the guy in part three who shoves the 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 eyeball into the camera. Uh, mm. <laughs> Which has always been sure. one of my favorite moments, but uh, um, but yeah, generally speaking, there, there's only a couple harbingers sprinkled out throughout the series. For some reason, the deckhand in this movie doesn't get as much love as he should. No, I like the idea of him falling to the third act and still just doing the exact same doom mongering all the way through. Yeah, and and just eventually just somebody being like, "You are a really f- you're, like you are a fucking drag. <laughs> <laughs> you're very negative. Why are you so negative?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, we are off at this point, and it's at this point it becomes apparent that this is a graduation party kind of mini cruise, as it were. Hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. You get to see the the massive amount of people who are on this ship, um, most of whom presumably just die, nameless, forgotten, and alone. But yeah, we see that there's the shuffleboard, clay pigeon shooting, what appears to be a twenty four hour nightclub. Because quite a lot of quite a lot of amenities. Yeah, yeah. Right, there's people right, dancing right. in that nightclub. Other than like. 
I mean, have you ever been on a ship that has a, a disco nightclub? Because I haven't. Like, I've been on. I, can't, I took. A, I took a carnival cruise for my honeymoon, and yet I they I still don't remember anything like that. Maybe I. Maybe I'm wrong, but like this was like a from the outside. And it's interesting because the director talks about this and, and, and I get it. He basically they could only afford a certain sized boat. So they had to shoot it, you know, from certain angles to make it look bigger. But then on the inside, it's like Disneyland. I mean, it's just like they've got all these tunnels and, and they've got this da- disco dance floor. And they apparently have a lot more teens on the ship who just either disappear or are killed off camera like. I think they have a throwaway line where they're like, she's like the teacher says, I left all the other students somewhere. And they're like, Oh, in the restaurant. And then he's like, there's no more restaurant. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. Did it blow up? Did they all get, <laughs> did, they, did they all did get they food all get, poisoning? Like what happened? Like I've always drown. Yeah. I mean, it's like that. They, it was like they had gotten so far into shooting and they're like, Holy crap. We have to explain this. We, we, yeah. you know, we have to explain this giant plot hole of having 30 other students on the, on the ship who just disappear. Uh, uh, there's no more restaurant. Okay, cool. All right, moving on. Yep, that sounds <laughs> that. Um, uh, v- um, very abrupt cut here to um, two more important characters. And I say important. Uh, we have Wayne, um, videographer, lover of women. Um, <laughs> sure. And um, JJ Jarrett, aspiring rock star, trying to shoot a video on the boat. Presumably the JJ stands for Joan Jett. Yep. I love JJ with all my heart. I feel that JJ got the short shrift in this film and was gone far, far too long. I had a mad thing for JJ when I was younger. Yeah, she's kind of attractive. Um, it's interesting when she's, and next time you watch the movie, and maybe it's just because I've seen it so many times, her hair changes. So she's on the mm. on the like the deck of the ship talking to the film student guy, and then the next shot shows her inside the boat, kind of crossing and going down to into the the guts of the ship and her like 80s hair is completely different next time watch it like it's it's like combed completely different which makes me think that that one shot of her walking is a it was a reshoot like they are pickup they were like you know they're like oh crap we don't we don't have anything showing her going down there so let's uh let's film it really quick but she got a haircut okay put a wig on her <laughs> I've got to say, Mitch, uh, I don't think that your assessment of these characters as important is quite accurate because I actually think that this film tries to jam too many characters in yeah. and it's yeah. way to its detriment. Like, I feel that this film has the, maybe some of the least developed characters in the whole franchise. Yeah. I think that this is interesting because the entire first two acts of this, when they're on the boat, um, feels like it's paced like a feature in itself. And I and I feel like um when they're making the escape from the boat, it kind of feels like it could be it could be like this kind of climactic thing in another film. And I agree. I think that like um like I was kind of being kind of semi facetious when I spoke about important character introductions because this film does. It's like it introduces so many characters in the first like half hour or so that are so abruptly off. No, I know. It's like you got the guy who's who's boxing with Julius, who's just like all of a sudden because this this ship has a a sauna, you know, uh, mm-hmm. for some reason. And, you know, and that guy, you barely even get to know him. I don't think you even see his face. Like, because he, he's wearing a helmet when he's boxing Julius. And then all of a sudden he has a towel on his <laughs> on his head when he's when he's in the getting the sauna thing done. So it's like, okay, so was he like a crew member? They just didn't want to show because he's barely <laughs> in the movie. And, and so, yeah, no, I get it. It's like, it is definitely, a, um, it's almost like the Poseidon adventure meets Jason in that regard because they have so many characters that they're introducing and the movie has a lot in common with the Poseidon adventure in some ways. That is an excellent take. Yeah. <laughs> it just came to me. I'm sorry. 
No, hey, no, not at all. Um, but yeah, JJ is gone as quick as she arrives because she heads to the basement to uh, just kind of scope it out as a potential uh, music video location. Uh, well, she go- she goes much to get uh, to play guitar in the, the engine room because she's looking for that most elusive thing to guitar players, much in that Supreme Concert Hall Echo. Yeah, and she and, and, <laughs> yeah. When, and when she gets smashed in the head with the guitar, the blood spatter, and this is again, this must be a filmmaker thing. The blood spatter is just about half a second before the guitar makes contact with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, I didn't clock that, though. I <laughs> that... didn't clock that, though. So. <laughs> um, but it's but also yeah. so clearly filmed from behind a plastic sheet. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> they didn't want to get it on the lens. I mean, come on. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, JJ and her dreams of uh, rock megastardom both uh, savagely cut down in the prime here as she's bludgeoned to death with the guitar. Yeah. To which, to, against my better judgment, I wrote in my notes, I've heard of axe murderers, but this is ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Um, more characters here, Eva and Tamara. Um, I don't really know how much airspace we should give all these ancillary people. I feel like Tamara deserves some, uh, some airspace because she's a real Machiavellian character who attempts murder at one point yeah i mean she she paints her biology project on her half-naked body and we have to bring her up she's got great 80s hair i will say that yeah she's also conservatively 30 years old yeah exactly like that's one thing i love i love about these movies and is that each of these like rennie looks like she's in her 30s even though she <laughs> i think she was significantly younger at the um than that when she made the movie i, I should i should be nicer because actually I, I think she's only in her 50s now but all of these characters mm. look significantly older than high schoolers, especially Julius. Julius is like clearly not a high schooler. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, no, no. But yeah, t- t- Tamara, I agree. I think that of the car- of the characters, of the kind of ancillary characters, I think that she is the one that deserves the most airtime for a whole load of different reasons. Uh, she try- she uh, peer pressures Eva into taking cocaine, tries to do the same to Rainy. Uh, dollar toot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, with no success. But they are caught in the act by uh, McCulloch here. And he says, are you girls using drugs? I just, I don't know why I always like the way he said that line. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Tamara uh, immediately assumes that Rennie, obviously Charles' niece, has kind of, uh, has ratted them out and she starts scheming uh, revenge, leaning into her kind of fear of water. Um, yeah. At this point, yeah, not a bad wee death here, I want to say, to um, the uh, the character only credited as other boxer. See, I told you, I told <laughs> um, you, like... He, I, I, it's like they had a grip who was free that day. They're like, we need another boxer. You're the guy. He's like, fine, but I don't want to. Sit, I don't want my face on camera. So then they like they just kind of work the guy in. Yeah, it's, it's that we'll give you a half boxing sequence, and then you can put a sheet over your face when you die. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I like this death quite a bit with uh with uh, the 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 sauna kind of like a. Uh the kind of hot stones getting launched into his chest cavity. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Well, and it's interesting because I bet there's a, a gorier version of that death because it presses that hot rock into his chest and it's kind of like, it's pretty quick. So you got to wonder if there's a lot of extra gore on the cutting room floor for that. And that goes for most of the deaths in this movie. This movie's pretty light on blood. I mean, it's just kind of, the death scenes are, are not as graphic as the uh, previous entries. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact mm-hmm. that, uh, Tipper Gore was was Tipper Gore with perfect last name was fighting the kind of censor horror movies back then, and I think they pulled, pulled right. back a little bit. Okay, okay, this is the, like this is the kind of context I would have had no idea about. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Tipper Gore was part was partially responsible, or a her group, I think, um, were partially responsible for the explicit content stickers getting put on things. Well, and, oh, and, she okay, was, and, okay. and she's often, I think they often kind of point to her as to why Part 7 was the goriest of sequels, but you would never know it watching it now because they cut all the gore out of the movie. Yeah. Um, and I think it wasn't until the DVD release later that they kind of, they had um, found the old, tapes of the footage they didn't i think the actual footage had been destroyed but like part seven was going to be off the chains gory and she kind of stepped in and, and then they they forced their hand and kind of had to cut all that stuff out okay okay tamara knocks rennie into the water here attempted yeah, murder it, attempted murder straight up we know that she can't swim it's established it, 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 it's, it's attempted murder but it's it's so it's the way it's received by everyone is so like easygoing and nonchalant like like she clearly shoves her in the water and then miss van dusen turns and just kind of gives her like what did you do it's like you pushed her off the side of a cruise ship it's a much bigger it's a much, it's a much bigger deal every time i see that i'm like why are people so there's just kind of like rea- they're reacting yeah. in, a, in a way that is so like calm i'd be freaking out take her to the brain yeah, exactly like you almost killed your classmate what is wrong with you so obviously at this point, after they get, because they get Rennie out of the water, and I'm not going to lie, the situation isn't funny, but see when they're trying to get her to grab the life preserver and she's just like screaming and flailing around, around like against my better judgment, I do, I, I laughed at that. Um, <laughs> but um, but they, uh, they recover her and um, Charles obviously swoops in, understandably upset. He's been kind of um, prophesizing doom and gloom about uh, Rennie being on this trip anyway. And here she is in kind of like water-based peril, exactly the thing that he was trying to avoid. Sure. So he um, confines Tamara to her room. We did that earlier, I guess. But um, my question is, at this point, um, so this is like a graduation celebration cruise to New York, right? Right. right. Yeah. Why is there a biology project due on this boat? And is he? Why is he like you better have your biology project? Well, ready? and and it also begs the question: mm. He's the principal and the biology teacher. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. it's 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 like I you know that doesn't happen. I I mean, as far as I know, there's never been a principal who's also an instructor. It doesn't like they don't have time for that. That's a two person job. So I was always confused by that. He's like, well, okay, did the principal, did the biology teacher tell the principal you better go? Better get her to turn in her biology project on the ship. Makes no sense. Yeah, like a- anyone would think it's a flimsy setup to what comes next. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because he he does uh, he does turn up um, to Tamara's kind of like room or dorm, and uh, she tries to seduce him, and he's like hilariously amenable to it for about like thirty seconds, and then um, his outrage cracks yeah, me up. Yeah, get off of me! I'm your teacher. <laughs> and, and it, it, yeah, it, 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 it does feel like he's paying lip service to the notion of telling her yeah, to stop. Yeah, it's like, oh no, this is terrible. <laughs> also, if that was indeed her biology project, she's been badly tutored because uh, she's incorrectly labeled everything. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, just for context for anyone that hasn't seen it, I mean, like, um, uh, yeah, Charles turns up at Tamara's room here and is like, where's your biology project? And she's basically like, right here. And she's labeled all of her organs, but she's done it on her body. I must admit, like, I, if I, I feel like if I had done that with any of my law assignments at university, they would not have, uh, I wouldn't have had the same reception. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 little note, uh, at, when I, when I saw this, this scene I did see when I was 10 years old at, 
the Halloween party. They didn't fast forward through the scene. Well, it's because it's because she's wearing she's wearing a, like lingerie. Like the girl at the beginning is topless. So they yeah. you know they thought this part was acceptable for a ten year old, which is yeah, I mean I'm fine with that. Did they skip by Tamra's death? Oh, they might. I, I remember vaguely them actually saying, "Oh, hold up," and then they fast forwarded really quick. Uh, to the next scene. Ah, right, I do remember okay. that. I do remember that. Okay. But uh, her actually doing the biology project was was left in there. Interesting. Hey, Mitch. Yes. It would have been pointless for you to write your any, any assignments on your body because your body hair is so thick that you would have been unable to read it, <laughs> let alone apply it. <laughs> this is true. I guess, I guess it would have been. I guess it would have been more like narratively expedient to set it on fire and deliver it in the form of smoke signals. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, just as uh, McCulloch tries to extricate himself from this entire sordid affair, Wayne emerges from the ether. He's filmed it. Mm, blackmail material. Blackmail material, potentially, yeah. Quite enjoyed this as a sequence, um, just in general, because a few things happen here that I think are interesting. For one thing, um, McCulloch storms out and ambitiously rules out Wayne ever working in the film industry or being admitted to any film school ever. Such is his power. Yep, and See you know, clout going on here. And as a as a teenager wanting to go to film school, his words struck a chord with me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh God, that's, that's a horrible threat! That's a horrible threat!" <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, uh, Wayne kind of tries to uh, confess his long held feelings uh, for Tamara here, and uh, he is rebuffed. And at this point, I wrote in my notes that I was curious to see if he goes full incel at this point, which he doesn't really. No, no, he doesn't. He just kind of slopes off with his glass of champagne. That actor ended up being on that Poltergeist, the Legacy TV show. The guy who plays the film. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know why I know that, but I do. So I'm throwing it out it's there. Okay. But the, these actors, the, act, these, these are the nuggets that, like, these right. nuggets sustain us. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm always kind of like, okay, well, these act, these actors still got work after this movie so that's good <laughs> yeah always nice i think you know jason appears as uh tamara showers here i kind of i i thought but i mean i always think that people who die in slashers are going to figure in the narrative for longer it's something that i really need to get savvier to but uh yeah she's gone pretty quickly here um it was at this point that i wrote down that i think that like up to this point this film has been like quite lecherous yes okay mm-hmm not as lecherous as some slashers of the era are, but I think that like um, I think that around the time of uh, Tamara's death, that's the point where I was like, mm. <laughs> "Is it because she goes head first in, into the into a mirror naked? Is that what's?" <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Yes, that was specifically what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was the point. That was the point uh, that I thought was maybe I was like, you know what, this might be a little bit gratuitous. Jason gets a lot of screen time in this film. He does indeed, yeah. Yeah, he's he's never really in the shadows in this movie. He's just walking around, and it started really that really started with uh, part six because I remember thinking in part six he's just walking around the daytime. They're not even really trying to hide him, make him scary at any point. And by the time they get to part eight, yeah, he's basically you know, and he teleports. I mean, that's that that's a new thing. That was all new for this movie was the whole teleportation thing. But uh, but yeah, I think it was because mm-hmm. Jason's the star. You know, I think by the time you get to part six and seven and eight, people want to see as much of him as possible. Yeah, I don't think that, like, I, I don't I don't think it's necessarily surprising that the threat is far more overt for way longer now. Yeah. Like in these entries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So we lose Tamara at this point, uh, probe night for her. A storm is brewing. The uh, captain's right-hand man is dispatched, and then the captain, and by this, of course, I mean Sean's dad rather than Sean, uh, also has his throat slashed in what I think is, like, quite awkward slow motion. 
Yeah, it's su- yeah, super, yeah, super, yeah, super awkward. And it, I think it's b- mainly because I think it didn't probably look very good when they did it. And so then when <laughs> they added, they, they did it, they cranked it and, and made it slow-mo for the movie. And I think it's just kind of, I don't know, maybe it's it, they wanted to make it look a little bit more disturbing. But uh, yeah, it just, it looks, it doesn't look good. No, I feel I feel like it exacerbates the problem that's that are already there. Right. But um, but it does get us to where we need to go in the sense that um, this kind of very potent threat is now kind of like common knowledge. Sean happens on this bloody tableau. His dad is dead. Um, pretty horrendous. Um, he tries to address the boat and um assemble the survivors, and uh, a transmitter is destroyed by Jason to kind of uh to slow this process. At this point, I also wrote down, how has anyone kept this deckhand on any job ever? It seems irresponsible that he knows about Jason being on board and has taken this long to report it to anybody. Well, and he, He's been trying he had, to report it. I mean, he also saw the, he saw the boat with the blood and he didn't say a damn word about it. It's like... <laughs> but, you know, if he told... Guys, he's been obliquely yeah. trying to tell people for hours, that's, hours and hours. That's true. That's true. He just, he just, he comes in, he says a few things, like, you're going to die. This, this, sh- this, this ship is doomed and everybody just kind of doesn't listen to him. Yeah, I, I, I don't feel, I don't feel like his protestations are taken sufficiently seriously, but I do also think that he could have been a little bit more direct in his delivery. I mean, and that's the that's the that's the case for for all of these harbingers in these movies. They always speak, and they're so vague. It's like just say exactly what's going to happen, but then of course that means the movie would be over really really quickly. But yeah, like it's it's very much like it's very much like um uh, it's like you're obviously privy to some information that the rest of us don't have. It's like can you please stop talking in riddles? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, this this feels very much like this is kind of like feeds back into what I was talking earlier about pacing. Like this feels like the setup of um, a third act of a film to me. Yeah, um, but uh, not here. Next up, we lose Eva, who was an ancillary character at the best of times. She makes the mistake of going wandering around on her own, pays accordingly. I think that considering that this is the kind of like uh, dispatching of a character that nobody really gave too much of a shit about in the first place. Uh, Patrick, you touched on this earlier as an actual visual set piece. This death is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's one of those things where um, I think when they ever, whenever they advertised the movie, they used a lot of that, but everybody probably assumed that was a dance club from New York city. So <laughs> they were like, Oh, it's on a boat. Mm. But uh, yeah, no, that, that part, again, like just the way she lands, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that that stunt woman, either dislocated something or broke something from that land yeah it's 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 like andy like you say it's like it's it's a truly unpleasant thing to look right, at right right and here yeah, it's brutal. i just want to say uh we kind of need to blow through some of these deaths because they just come thick and fast from this point and uh, wayne is next after kind of losing his glasses and erroneously murdering a deckhand who just happened to be mooching around the engine room he stumbles upon JJ's corpse and then is pretty unceremoniously thrown into an electricity panel, bursts into flames. His, his crotch catches fire too. I just remember that being, I don't know why, for some reason they lit his, they lit his crotch on fire. <laughs> yep, burning lines. Yep. The, the, the final indignity. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have a good, like a good encounter between Reddy and Jason happens around this time. Yeah, this is the one that Patrick was talking about where she uh, sticks Stephen King's pen in his eye. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, and, and this is when he comes through the little porthole, right? And then she, sta- yeah, the yeah, and then she stabs mm-hmm. him in the eye. Um, yeah, I, I, like, I, I think that this, this entire set piece is pretty satisfying. I think that like the hallucination crossed with the actual immediate horror and stuff yeah, is really yeah, fun. Absolutely. Um, yeah, quite a lot going on in a, in a way that I really like. Again, though, the kid looks different again. Yep. 
he's yeah. like as deformed yeah. as you would maybe expect, and he's he might even be bald at this point. It's it's in, it's yeah, inconsistent. Like, it's like they they had a kid actor, and he's like, no, you're not putting makeup on me today. So certain days he has lots of makeup, other days he has no makeup, <laughs> other days he has part yeah. of his makeup, or they're like. Uh, guys, the makeup is taking too long. We got to get him to set. You know, I, I'm curious. I would love to ask him what the thought process was. I'm sure that there's there might be some like meaning behind that that I'm not aware of. But um, that part always confused mm-hmm. me. I, I like agreed. I mean, I'm mean, like speaking to somebody who was watching this for the first time and whose knowledge of the mythology of the franchise is obviously a little bit patchy. Um, there was a couple of times where I just kind of assumed it was like two or three different people. And then eventually I was like, oh, yeah. and then I just had to revise all my notes. Exactly. <laughs> I want to ask something really quickly, and it speaks entirely to my ignorance and the fact that I was watching this in a slightly time-sensitive fashion. But um, I looked down for one second, and then when I looked back up, the boat was full of water. What happened? Uh, well, <laughs> I, it, I, you know, it, it. Hey, maybe that's what took out the restaurant. <laughs> I am, I am extremely vindicated by the fact that neither of you had an immediate answer well, for that question. It, I mean, it, it, you know, it, the, it doesn't the engine blow up, and then there's just like it's just a bunch of yeah, stuff happens. It, it takes on it, water. It takes on water and, and you know I, it's quite again, rainy it's quite rainy doesn't lightning hits one of the poles at the top of the, the the boat just about everything that you can imagine happens but i think they're just trying to keep the action moving fast enough so you don't have a lot of questions like you do right now yeah yeah exactly and, and, and at this point i mean like from everything you just mentioned it sounds like it's more a case of what doesn't cause the boat to fill with water exactly yeah, that's, that's pretty much it i think you said something about the pumps failing as well there's a i'm sure there's a line about the pumps failing they managed to only have one lifeboat too i think if i remember no no it does seem that way it does it does seem like there's only one functioning life but certainly only one that gets any airtime yeah exactly mm. and just mm. just enough people survive to get inside the lifeboat too yeah yeah for it to be running at exactly capacity <laughs> hey and they've managed to squeeze a dog on there mitch and we haven't really talked about toby the dog what was your thoughts on that because i know that you've got something of a a suspicion anytime you see any animal really in a film like in a i guess a position of prominence yep if you see a dog in the first 15 minutes my instinct is always that dog is a fucking goner and um not to uh spoiler too much but i did appreciate this film subverting my expectations by not killing toby the dog well there's a bit in the script apparently where uh, jason kicked the dog and kane hodder just said i'm not doing that kane hodder stood up for the canines and uh, yeah, that's good that's good and uh, yeah yeah, they kind of play with the uh, the dog uh, in all this in all the sequels. There's something with dogs that's kind of interesting. Like in part two, there's the small dog that goes missing, and then they stumble upon its body in the woods, and then it turns out that wasn't the real dog because then the dog shows up at the very end of the movie. And then in part four, muffin, muffin, and then in part four, for no apparent reason whatsoever, the dog is like, "I'm getting the hell out of here." And the dog jumps through a glass jumps out window. The window. Jumps out a window and is never seen for the rest of the movie. And because it's like the <laughs> the dog is this the dog is the smartest creature in the entire movie. <laughs> that dog's that dog character name in part four is Gordon, which I think yeah. is quite lovely. Yeah, that is nice. That is nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, our survivors row all the way to New York. And just for clarity, just a quick personnel check before we move on, we've got uh, McCulloch, Sean. Colleen, the teacher, Julius, and Rennie, and of course, Toby the dog. Yeah, and Charles still can't help himself but be a prick to Sean, who just simply does not know how to work the sextant that his dad has just given him. (laughs) You know, there's a moment in the movie where he almost is nice to him. Right after his dad's found dead, he's like, Sean, I'm 
I'm okay. Then I'm gonna be a dick again. It's like it just like it just it just doesn't. It's just funny. Um, and clearly that was a character choice and a you know a director choice too. But yeah, he has he's merciless. Like if you handed any one of us that computerized sextant and said, right, get us to New York, we would be as fucking lost as Sean. <laughs> yeah. That poor bastard. He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders <laughs> in that little rowboat. And takes Julius to say to him, look, man, it's fine. Like, it's cool. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like, Sean is the captain on this particular seafaring adventure. It feels like that episode of The Simpsons where Homer flies the plane. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, but they, they do make it to New York. We do find out very quickly that uh, Jason has successfully tailed them. But mm. they're, they're in New York for approximately eight seconds before they encounter street toughs. Yeah, they get they get mm, and Renee is kidnapped. They, they apparently are waiting right when you when you land, like right when you get to the dock. There are there are murderous drug dealers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think this bit is the dark. This is the darkest bit in the film because they kidnap Renee. They shoot her up with heroin, and, and I've got to be honest, I'm highly dubious about the cleanliness of that syringe. Yeah, exactly. And then they're planning on raping her until she's actually saved by Jason. Yeah, um, I actually, um, for one thing, so I wrote them, I had them uh, as street toughs to begin with, and then when they injected her with the heroin, I upgraded them to ne'er-do-wells. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually did. What's next? I did. I did write down that. Um, uh, yeah, Jason emerges as the hero of the piece at this point. I think by intervening in what was about to be like a horrendous back alley rape sequence. Um, so I actually think I think it's very hard to not root for Jason after that. Mm, I've got to say, their outdoor lair is horrible. <laughs> well, do, do you think? Do you think it could have just been decorated a little bit more tastefully? I just, it just, it's very, very odd to me that they'd chosen. That is the the the, the location for the the al- nefarious the alleyway, the uncut, the very unclean alleyway. Yeah, and I, 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 I'm wondering, I'm like, I wonder where that alleyway is in Vancouver. Like, did they have to even shoot it in Vancouver? They could have shot it that literally. They could have shot that behind any building. It's like the most like it, it's just it doesn't have any scope. It has lots of burning barrels and smoke, and that's about it. That is about the height of it. <laughs> um. Uh, a subordinate ne'er-do-well uh, tries to kill Jason with a gun, which obviously doesn't pan out. No. And then one of my favorite sequences in the film, where um, uh, Julius attempts to alert the emergency services to no avail. And This is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, rooftop uh, rooftop fist fight between Julius and Jason. This is front to back an absolute triumph. Well, and this is this is a scene oh. that, uh, as a 10-year-old, was like the greatest scene ever. Like, I mean, like, better than anything I'd ever seen before. It's incredible. It's so long the only sound is julius gasping and punches being thrown and he was really punching kane hodder kane hodder said just lay into me the question is were his fists that bloody really that bloody or is that fake blood um apparently Mm. he legitimately uh injured his hand uh yeah the guy that plays julius apparently uh picked up like quite a nasty hand injury at the point where the phone box is smashed oh wow yeah yeah i heard that as well so quite possibly actually see you can say what you want about jason takes manhattan right and i know a lot of people say like give it a lot of snash and decry it as one of the worst in the franchise i personally i disagree with that i put my personal ranking up on twitter the other day but i genuinely think that this confrontation is one of the best confrontations in the entire franchise period and i think that i think you're right i think i think some people it's just like they had to get they had to wade through an hour and 20 minutes of of the boat to get to this point so i think that's why some people still kind of uh it, does, it doesn't necessarily save the movie for some people 
but there you can mm. see the way he shot it in, in it, he shot it super wide to kind of give it some scope which is probably what they they were originally going to do like a you know like you said Madison Square uh Square Garden it was it was going to be huge and of course he had to kind of shoot from another roof to kind of make it give it some scope but uh yeah I think it's 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 also really a kind of a clever scene which is um you know you don't really put the words clever and Friday the Thirteenth in the same sentence normally. No, I would say that. And it's long. It's very. It's really long. Like it. It's not rushed at all. It's like one of the few moments in the films that is allowed time yeah, to breathe. Exactly. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. However, it, like it does abruptly end when <laughs> Julius's head is punched clean off his shoulder. <laughs> I wrote down at this point. I for some reason envisioned Jason doing more broad daylight murdering of purists, and I can't pretend I'm not disappointed. Okay. Because um, I have obviously like my the only thing that I knew about this film going in was that uh, he goes to Manhattan and just basically has a wonder about. Sure, it should be it's more Jason visits Manhattan. Yeah, but he's not really doing enough to warrant yeah. taking it. I mean, it. they basically they hit all the they hit all the like little they don't do the Empire State Building. They hit all like the the things that are like make you think New York. They hit the alleys, the rooftops, the subway, and then some random diner, which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Oh God, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ken Cousinger is in there. He went, would go on to play Jason. Yep, Freddy yep. versus Jason. He gets thrown into that mirror. I want to touch on quickly the fact that um, Rennie leads the escape from the situation in a police car that she kind of co-opts as her own for about 10 seconds mm-hmm. before she before she crashes it. Uh, Jason is on the deck. The car explodes. <laughs> um, sure. Incredibly eventful moment. But at this point, we do get a flashback, which explains a lot about what we understand now about Charles. Because Charles, as um, Rennie's uncle is actually the architect of a lot of the childhood trauma that he's now trying to shield her against because uh, as it turns out years ago when she was a child he uh, told her about the jason mythos while they were in a boat and then pushed her out of the boat for a laugh (laughs) i don't know if it was for a laugh i think he was trying to teach her to swim and it's so awkwardly transitioned because she's just staring at a burning puddle that somehow then becomes a lake. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's really funny when she confronts him about this and his response is, I saved your life, which feels like an incredibly narrow read of that situation. Well, and it's also like he 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 immediately knows what she's talking about without any context. Like she just says, you push me in the lake. And he's like, oh, and then he immediately, like, it's just, it's just such a weird... Like he saw, did he see the flashback with her? Sean also reacts as if he saw I know, the he goes, flashback. He's, he's like, son of a bitch. Like, son of a no, bitch. you guys did. You guys see a puddle with fire on it. You don't see the lake. In the chase sequence that happens after this, I love it when um, Charles realizes obviously that um, the rumors are true. Jason is alive and well. I love it when he uh, tries to take cover in the warehouse and you see him running in and then just gets immediately thrown out of a first story that's window. That's the moment where that's the moment where Amazing. you realize the filmmakers are just having fun because like it's like it's clearly they're being a little bit satirical about how he can just be two places at once. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think that I, I think that this is um the most obvious leaning into that and it's the moment where it works the best for that reason. I think that there's like such an obvious tacit acknowledgement of how ridiculous what happens is. Yeah. I, I mean and uh, it's not just he's not just thrown out. He's jettisoned in a comical and way. Again, again like, like good style. stunts too. Really yeah. good stunts. Ah. And here he lands on cement and I think it's actually him and I mean he must have fallen at least a couple feet to land that hard the actor so i mean it's it's yeah it's impressive yeah i think all this stuff is great and i mean like um and at this point uh sean and rennie escape to a subway car and i really like this set piece this chase as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah although i do kind of feel i know i know they 
they wanted to kind of leave it open ended. They didn't want to like close the book on Jason and have him dead at the end. Uh, but I do kind of feel like the subway bit was written as the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. What, you, when he, what you mean when he when he gets electrocuted? Because I always thought that would be a cool way of ending the ending the movie, but you know, instead it keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh, he's still fucking alive. Here we go. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, I totally agree. Like, I think that, like, um, because uh, I remember when he gets kind of because when they escape the subway car and he gets kind of uh, fried on the subway tracks. I'm being like, oh, I was like, oh, presumably this is how this ends. And then I looked at it and I was like, there's like 17 minutes left to go. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they, you know, they hadn't showed uh, uh, Times Square yet. So it was like they had to get to that point. And, you know, obviously the subway is a good transition to, to um, it makes some sense because they started at a dock and then all of a sudden they were in Times Square. So they need to have taken some form of transportation to get there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what I would say is that, like, I think that um, the the so obviously, like, I say, I mean, like, we've hit a point where I think that the film could have naturally ended, and I think that um, and this film doesn't want for length. You know, it's like it's an hour and forty minutes as it is. You could have chopped out some of the end part. You could have seen them emerging from the subway in a Times Square, be reunited with Toby, and let that be that. Yeah, it's the longest it, film in the franchise. Yeah, I was gonna say it is the longest one. Uh huh. And I mean, like, and I don't think that, like, um, because obviously, what we get now is, and and I think that. I've spoken about this before uh, on the show, but I always think that the thing that tends to make me check out the most in slashers is the kind of hunt and chase segment at the end, because I'm aware that it'll probably take longer than I'd prefer. And like somewhere in the middle, it'll kind of lose me. And I think that what you get with the warehouse and then the subway is great. And And I remember thinking, I was like, God, if this is the hunt and chase part of this, then I'm very happy. And then what you get is the, the sequence that happens in the sewers that kind of occupies the last 10, 15 minutes of this. And uh, that feels way less effective to me. And um, it does kind of take a little bit of the air out of how good the ending might have been for me. Agreed. And then you have another, and then you have a random guy working in the sewer. And, you know, it's like, okay, now we have a new harbinger. We have the sewer harbinger um, who, who warns <laughs> us about toxic waste flooding the, the sewer, which I'm like, does that even really happen? Like I have asked people, who li- I've asked people who live in New York, is does it really flood with toxic waste? And nobody can give me a straight answer. I'm like, I guess that explains explains the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or, or Chuds. I mean, it makes sense. Sure. Mm, it, it, it sounds like all the people that you're asking about this are all complicit in the same conspiracy. <laughs> exactly. It's like, the, <laughs> like, come on, guys, be honest with me. Does it does it does the sewer flood out with toxic waste? There's also that weird moment that we haven't touched on where Jason shows his face to the punks. Which was which was in every single trailer and advertisement for that movie. Like, that's the part that I remember telling my mom about. I was like, oh, and he takes his mask off, and they run away. And I thought that was the coolest thing. As a nine-year-old, I thought that was the coolest thing. And then she's like, you're not seeing that movie. And I'm like, oh, well, I will eventually take that, Mom. I'm doing a podcast on it right now. <laughs> How do you like me now? Yeah, <laughs> um, but like I say, the the, the sewer sequence that here, um, it's 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 not like ineffective, but it's just it feels very superfluous. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I think it undoes a lot of the goodwill that's kind of been built up by the the subway stuff, and even the stuff. I, I even like the stuff in the the, the diner. See if you'd kind of just rejigged the order of things a little bit, and maybe had them come out the diner into Times Square or out of the diner into the the subway. I just think, yeah, the, the stuff in the sewers just never really worked for me. And actually, I, as much as I really like this film, and I do, um, I, I feel like the ending just loses its way 
that it's like yeah. they didn't know how to end it in such no. a way as to keep it no, open ended. No, he like he screams, he screams for the first time, and he turns, he reverts back to his childlike state, and somehow none of them get toxic waste on their pants. Like every time I watch <laughs> no. it, I'm like I'm like that's a, like a freaking tidal wave of toxic waste, and he's melting, and they're like just like what a foot away from the toxic waste. Mm. None of it splashes on their legs. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why that. I don't know why that makes me so upset. It really should. <laughs> I, I, I really like the healthy reserve of skepticism that you have about that. I love the yeah. fact that that's the thing that took you out of it. I know. I know. Like every time I watch the movie, I'm like, I'm fine with him killing people and teleporting, but when it comes to the toxic waste, I can't do it. No. Um, also, I hate his face in this film. Yeah, it's not good. It's not. It's not one of the best designs. They ultimately escape here, and they make it back out into Times Square. We get we get our look at Times Square that we've been owed this entire time. I also feel like the New York Tourist Board has probably owed it as well, given uh, the way that New Yorkers and New York have been portrayed hitherto in this film. <laughs> yeah, apparently they were not happy with the poster, the original poster for the movie, where it had like I that's right, I love New York, and he was stabbing it and stuff, and and uh... yeah, apparently that's yeah, apparently that's uh, that was notorious. Obviously, I didn't know that until I started looking into it today as well. But um, but uh, yeah, my dead pet cynicism is checkmated as well. They're reunited with Toby, who just happens to find them. Yeah, I mean, like, it's incredibly fortuitous. But yeah, very nice, very nice. And with that, we are out on uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. Andy, yes, I'm going to hazard a guess that unlike me, this was not your first watch of this film. I'm going to guess that you've seen it a few times. I've seen it countless times countless times mm-hmm. and, okay, and, so, and me, um, me too <laughs> right okay it's um, probably the friday the 13th film i've seen the most really okay okay yeah. um so i guess that there's not necessarily that much mileage in asking you if you took anything extra away from it this time because at this point presumably it's just watching something that's kind of incredibly <sighs> well, it's, it, i've never really sat and watched it critically before and that's why i'm saying that I really do think it loses its way quite significantly in the latter half of the visit to New York. Um, but I think the journey getting there and all, all the stuff on the boat is great. And I do kind of see why people felt a bit shortchanged by the title. But uh, he's in New York at one point. He's standing in Times Square. I don't really know what more you want than that. Like, yeah. To be honest, I prefer the setup that we've got to him fighting Julius in a boxing ring in madison square garden yeah i think yeah yeah i think that obviously if if i was to give any notes at this point it would be less less boat maybe 10 more minutes in new york um and and Mm -hmm. then have the climax not be in the sewer i think that that you you guys agree with me on that i think that the ratios are only out by that much as well i think like because because i wrote down at one at one point in my notes i was like this is an interestingly paced film when does he actually take manhattan but when i got to the end of the film I didn't think, oh, it's weird that they weren't there for longer. Like, I, cause, cause I enjoyed this app. And like I say, I think that, like, yeah, it's not like I felt like we could have been doing with half an hour less on the boat and half an hour more in New York. It's like, I think that, like, maybe seen a little bit more of that. But I think that the only reason that that exists as a criticism is because of the title. Yeah. I think it would have been so weird to watch Jason kind of tourist hopping from the Chrysler building to the Empire State building to the Twin Towers and then over to Liberty Island, like, that stuff's just, like, that would be so weird to me that he that he, he, he would move in that fashion, and it's just paying lip service to iconic places. Well, and, I, and it also, you know... I don't know what more people want. And I also see things now from a filmmaking standpoint and a budgetary standpoint where I'm like, okay, they clearly didn't have the money to do that. Like, they just didn't, so they had to do the best job they could. 
Um, most people who watch the movie aren't going to know that's Vancouver. We know because we're fans and we looked into it. But like, if you were to show that movie to some, you know, anyone who doesn't have a lot of knowledge about the movie, they're like, oh yeah, it, it, that looks like New York. You know, uh, the hardcore fans obviously read about the movie and know that how it was put together and stuff. And and uh, and I like the boat stuff. I think there needed to be a transition to, to New York from the from the lake. Um, obviously, they're not going to mm. take a take a jet or a plane. The boat was the best way to do it. I think maybe they just spent too much time, about 10 minutes too much time on the boat. And then I think that, and I even think that if they had just cut 10 minutes out of the boat scenes, it would have made the New York stuff feel like it was more prevalent to the story. You know what I'm saying? As, a, yeah. as opposed to, I'm not saying tack another 10 minutes to the New York stuff. I'm just saying cut maybe five, 10 minutes out of the boat. Yeah, thin out the boat stuff. Cause yeah, the, like the film comes in leaner that way. Yeah, yeah. 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 No. I like. I like. I. I hear that. Um. Pa- Patrick. I think this was a really. This was a really good selection. I always enjoy talking about like um kind of slasher sequels, especially when you get up to like something like the eighth or ninth entry exactly. of the franchise, and things are. Yeah. You know, you're like you're so far removed from the kind of like uh the core of the thing that um I think that these things are always fun to revisit, or in my case, visit for the first time. And um I'm beginning to wonder if uh people who love the kind of bare bones or the kind of uh formative stuff of this franchise might hate me because i we've now done eight nine and ten and i've had a really good time with all of them i mean i think yeah. you've, coming um, from coming from the outside and seeing it from a fresh perspective i think that yeah it's like people who um i show star wars movies for the first time and they're like i don't know what everybody's complaining about i'm really enjoying this i'm like okay well here you go i mean like I, th- I think there's an element of that but certainly like i feel like like it was it was a perfect shout for this format and i had a great time with it and i just want to say big thanks for kind of bringing it to the table in the first totally instance. totally yeah thank you man patrick uh before we wrap up want to talk a little bit about what you've been up to uh so the, the reason that we kind of know each other is because obviously um we kind of got in touch around the time that you um that you played enclosure and enclosure uh played fright fest right 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 which was in <laughs> um, 2006 years back. yeah 2016 2016 yeah wow. i know i um, know it's, so time flies i know i know um enclosure uh me and andy both uh, big fans of that film good thank yeah. you so much appreciate that um i feel like the movie um definitely has its fans and it still continues to kind of it ends up it's all uh, every now and then it's on different streaming services and stuff like that the distributor here in the states is always getting it on new new services which is kind of nice and it's a new a lot more people can see it. Um, obviously, as you know, they changed the title. And mm-hmm. at the time, it was in 2017. At the time, the reasoning behind that was to get it higher in the alphabet. Uh, in the alphabet, when you are ordering movies on VOD, that was literally the thought process. Wow. That. Yeah. And so higher than E. Yeah. Right. E. <laughs> well, and their their idea was that enclosure. What does that mean? They said, well, if we call it this, more people will rent it. So I think the movie um, initially coming out of the gate got a little bit of a bad rap because of its title. Um, and I think now people are kind of watching it now and reappraising it and seeing that it's actually, we were actually taking it very seriously, that the, I, the title was forced on us in the U.S. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, it seems like the movie continues to kind of develop a fan base and I hope it continues to do so. So, And then, you know, my previous film, film Nailbiter, was um, – it was on the horror channel in the UK for years and it was released through yeah, Metrodome. Yeah, yeah. And right now I think there's a little bit of a rights issue with the film. Uh, nobody's really sure because Metrodome went into administration. So nobody's really sure. Who, yeah, nobody sure. really knows who has the rights to the movie right now. It's kind of getting all worked out right now. Um, so, okay. um, but that's the status with that film. 
Okay, and um, I guess most relevantly right now, uh, your new film, I Am Lisa, a selection for the uh, the Digital Fright Fest coming up at the end of this month. Yeah, I'm super, super excited about it. Um, I mean, it's sad that obviously with the state of things right now that we have to do things digitally, but um, I would much prefer to I would much yeah. prefer to come to London and, and hang out with everybody. Yeah, but uh, you know that's just not that's not possible. You know, we don't have it. We don't yeah. have we don't have COVID under control in the U.S. right now. So it's it's kind of a thing where we, this is where where we're at. And uh, but uh, yeah, the movie was shot a year ago actually uh, in Kansas City, around Kansas City. Okay. And um, I guess my my best way of describing it, it's kind of a female driven. It's a female driven revenge film that mixes werewolf folklore and werewolf lore into the story obviously we didn't have the budget to do anything like american werewolf in london style but um i mean it, it, it you sure. know we had a lot of fun making it we did a very short schedule we shot the movie in 14 days yeah in in the, the hottest months of the year uh and um really everybody pulled together and it, it was it was definitely a work of all, all the cast and crew is all kansas city with the exception of the lead actress who plays Lisa? Her name is Kristen Vaganos. I think she's got she's going to be in a lot of stuff. I think she's got a big future ahead of her. And um, yeah, she was fantastic to work with, and we brought her in from Los Angeles. And uh, yeah, so you know, <laughs> we got we got all the post production done over lockdown. Uh, you know, a lot of the things that needed to get done, we were <laughs> we had the time, so we got the sound design and the color and all that effects done while we were in lockdown in March, and. Uh, got it in, in done in time for for uh the festivals and now we've so we the plan is we we're doing fright fest um and we hope that we have a few more festivals lined up between then and october because the movie is going to get released um in the u.s in october and we're okay, hoping right. for drive-ins right now they said that distributors planning drive-ins in vod october 9th and it's uh, i think that it's i don't know if, it, if it's just it's luck or what but when i was making the movie um, it's more fate than luck. Um, <laughs> when I was making the movie, I kept saying this is my first drive-in movie. You know, we had a very, very small budget, and I and I felt like the movie had a very good drive-in appeal. And of course, that's where we had that's where we mm -hmm. had to have the 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 cast and crew screening was at the drive-in here in Kansas City because sure. um, I mean we couldn't get we couldn't pack that many people into a theater right now um, without without doing like four <laughs> yeah, separate yeah. showings and saying all right okay first thirty get to go in. All right, next 30 get to go in. So we did a drive-in screening here in Kansas City and um, had a great showing. Um, and so I think the movie is going to hopefully play a few more drive-ins. Like I said, the movie's kind of tailored for the drive-in, and uh, mm -hmm. I think it'll do well. So Excellent. Wow, amazing. Um, Patrick, amazing. very quickly before you go, if anybody wants to keep up with you on social media, are there platforms for them to do that? Uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and I think you just have to look up Patrick Ray on both of them. Um, and rea is how you spell my last name and yeah it just look me up on facebook or instagram i don't i'm not i'm not really on twitter cool okay um patrick Amazing. thanks so much for taking the time thank, this thank you so thank much thank you man. guys so that was a fun one for a lot of reasons i thought um, I've kind of I've kind of semi known Patrick since Enclosure came out, and um, we've kind of semi been in touch with each other in that time, and it seemed like a perfect time to get him on with I Am Lisa Landon at Fright Fest, and as it turns out, uh, he is a lovely man and picked a perfect film. Can't disagree with that. Lovely guy, great film by the way. I don't care what anyone else says. 
I've got, and a, a part of it probably is the nostalgia thing because it was one of the first Friday the Thirteenth films I saw. But I, I love Jason Takes Manhattan. Also, I mean, like I don't have that going for me. I don't have the nostalgia, and I still loved it. Well, there you go. There you go. Perfect. So, yeah, exactly. But with that, we are out on episode 112. And a big thank you to all of you for joining us once again. And we will be back on Monday because life is relentless with um, <laughs> another mini-sode for your ears. We'll be doing all the usual stuff on there. We will be taking a look at what we've been watching. We'll be hopefully joining me on a journey back to the 90s, schedule permitting. I'll, no, I'll have it done. I 100% will have one watched. Yeah, you better. I will, I promise. Uh, we will, of course, be taking a look at your feedback and we'll be playing Mitch's Pitches. I am quite happy to say right now we are at Tuesday evening for date stamp purposes and the standard of pitch is already sky high this week again. Can't wait. Everyone bringing the Ray game again. And of course, we will be letting you know everything that you need to know for next week's episode as well. If you want to get in touch with us between now and then, of course, there's loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. And you can email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com and interact with other listeners on our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. Yes, of course, The Chud Locker. That, uh, it's so tantalizingly out of, like, out of reach to me. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lovely, lovely time. And sometimes people just long form take the piss out of us as, by reimagining us as cop duos and things like that. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't quite make me want to reactivate my Facebook account, though, I've got to say. Um, but yeah, why not join us uh, on Patreon? Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes. Did I say Patreon enough? <laughs> yeah i've got some cool stuff going on over there um if you want to join us we have some uh, some extra content some free stuff and um loads of new ways for people to interact with each other things like that tears starting from two pounds mm-hmm. if you want to go over take a look at that patreon <laughs> we will have a revived website for you very soon as well but right now if you're looking to support us in other ways the other thing that you could do is on whatever platform you use for your podcasts be it spotify be it stitcher be it anything else uh hit that subscribe button like great review all those things we have it on good authority that they make a reasonable amount of difference in raising the profile of the show and we've seen a little bit of that lately and it's amazing and very gratifying yeah guys thank you so much for your continued support and we will of course be back monday join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chats goodbye goodbye You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 